we're going to be talking about the passing over today. And I want to speak to you as I speak this message to all of us this morning, because you're coming into a special place now. You're taking this step to the table. And I want to talk to you because you're coming to an age now where you're going to be talking to different people, and you're going to be talking to people who believe differently than you do. And that's a good thing to do. It's always good to talk to people maybe who don't believe. We know you believe in Jesus and you believe in God, but you're going to start meeting people who don't believe, and they believe all sorts of different things. And it might be challenging to you sometimes to talk to them, but it's always good to do, always good to talk to them and hear what's going on with them. And I'm going to tell you what you're, what you're going to hear if you, if you ask the question, why is it? that you uh, don't believe maybe in God or don't believe in Jesus. Because I've spent a few decades now um, intentionally talking to people who don't believe as we do. And I'll tell you what you will hear. Uh, I get so that I can almost predict what's going to come out of their mouth. The most common thing you're going to hear is something about the problem of evil in the world, the problem of things that are bad in the world. You'll hear someone say, well, you know, my brother died in a, in a tragic drunk driving accident when he was a child. How could God let that happen? How could a good God or a powerful God let that happen? Or maybe I've been impacted by a mass shooting. You know, there's just this year, there have been nine shootings so far in schools. You know, where someone just came in with a gun and opened fire in a school, and you think, with kids, how could that happen? How could God let that happen? Something as evil as that, causing such suffering. Or people will say, how come there was a, a great holocaust where so many people were, were tortured or killed? And maybe that might, might become a question that you have at some point in your life. Why would God allow suffering? Why that this suffering in the world that comes from evil, sometimes very severe. You might experience something awful in your life when, when you have maybe a priest who, God forbid, molests a child, or maybe a pastor who embezzles money from the church and runs off with it. And you're left thinking, how could God allow something like that to happen when it harms the faith of so many people? Maybe you might experience the heartbreak of watching a church split. And you say, there was such potential there, and it just imploded. You know, how could God allow such a thing to happen, you know? And I could keep talking like this more and more, and I would convince more and more of you to start to wonder, should I really be a Christian if I go on and on about the evil we might experience in the world? Right? Well... This is among the concerns of the first part of Romans that we've been going through. You know, we've been going through Romans, and we, you know, I gave you this outline, and encouraged you to think that, uh, think about how Paul has a primary theme that he's addressing in his first four chapters, and that is, is God just? Is God righteous? And it's a little bit hard to keep on point sometimes because he has these three different themes of God being just of God justifying us, and he justifies all, that is, Jews and Gentiles, 
who believe. And so because he's juggling these things, sometimes it makes it a little hard to keep on point. And you say, what, what exactly is he talking about? But in the passage we're about to read, verse 26, that, that last verse is the verse that inspired the name of our series, that God is just and the justifier of all Jews and Gentiles who believe, right? And so all of them are there, but primarily we're trying to, we're trying to say that God is arguing, that Paul is arguing about how God really is righteous in the way that he, first of all, is fulfilling his promises to Abraham and to the Jews and then to the whole world, how he is just. So let's hear a little bit more about that in the passage that's going to help us this morning. In Romans chapter 3, let's hear that read. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the, through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Enoch. All right, so as I've been saying, this is a problem that comes up if you talk to people about the Christian gospel and you talk to people about why they believe or they don't believe. People will find fault with God for allowing sin to be in the world and the suffering that it causes and the evil uh, that, that comes about. And so, children, you're going to meet people, and this will be the conversation. Uh, it's sort of like, in your experience, if your parents are going to go out, and they're going to go out on a date or something, and so they leave, right? And you get into a tussle with your brother or sister, right? And I know that when that happens, it's almost always their fault. Right? It's not something that you caused. But then your parents come home and you say, well, we need to deal with this. We need there to be consequences. right?" And it's, this, it's as if your parents come home from their date and then there are no consequences for what happened. It doesn't get resolved. right? And that awful thing that happened, maybe your brother hit you or uh, maybe your sister was mean to you, you know, that doesn't get addressed. You know? That's what people have trouble with. And that's what Paul calls in this passage, a, like, it's as if, verse 25, he's passing over people's sins, first in the covenant with Abraham and David, and then in the world. Okay? And, it's, and it's, it's as if we experience what Paul calls in this passage divine forbearance. All right, so what I want to do with you uh, this morning is I want to go over this problem of evil. And I want, to I, want to, I want to present it in a way I think it's understandable, it's clear, and it's very helpful for us as we talk to people because people have to resolve this problem for themselves in some way. 
So here's the problem. One, A, we could say A, God is there. God exists. B, God is omnipotent. That is, he's all-powerful. God could do whatever he wants. He could race around the world a thousand times in a second if he wanted to. Or he could turn back time if he wanted to. Or he could take the world and throw it into another galaxy. He is so powerful, he can control it. Anything. So God is omnipotent. C, we know evil exists in the world, right? And D, God is good, right? God doesn't like evil. He doesn't want evil in people's lives. So the problem is just that. A good, omnipotent God would not allow evil to exist in the world. That's the problem of evil. And everybody in the world has to somehow solve this problem. Everybody who's ever lived has to somehow address this problem and find some kind of resolution to this problem. How are they going to do it? Okay, now this is helpful, friends, because as you meet people in the world, you can categorize them as to how they address this problem. Um, and some people look at this problem and they say, the, you know how I would solve this problem? I would just cross out D. I would say the problem, these people say, is believing that actually God is good. And some people go there. I'm thinking, you know, of a famous person, Francois Voltaire, who in the, he was a writer philosopher. And he said, in the 18th century, he said, yeah, you know, God exists. And he is the devil. <laughs> God is not good. And that was his uh, solution to the problem, is that if, if, you, if you get right down to it, the problem is we think that goodness, God is good, and God is not good, okay? I don't know if we should listen to him. This is the same guy who stood there in the, um, in the 1700s and said, you know, because of this problem, within 100 years, Christianity and the Bible will be utterly forgotten. People will forget about Christianity and the Bible within 100 years. It's kind of ironic that Voltaire said that, because within 50, not even 100 years of his death, 50 years of his death, his estate was taken over by the Geneva Bible Society, and they were using his printing press, Voltaire's printing press, to churn out Bibles for all of Europe because of the demand. So I don't know if you want to listen to him, but this is a serious, uh, this is a serious way in which people try to somehow resolve, get to the bottom of this problem of evil. In fact, the entire Greek civilization took this approach. The Greeks said, ah, oh, the people in charge is not one god, it's a bunch of gods. And the Greeks said, these gods themselves are immoral. And they would tell stories about how the gods would act in immoral ways. And so the gods are immoral. That's how come we are immoral, too. That's how come evil is in the world, because the gods themselves are immoral. So... This is one way that people solve the problem. And so, uh, children, it's like your parents who go out on that date, and then you, you get into a fight with your brother or sister, and they come home, and then your parents are bad also. That's like the solution here, is that your parents hit each other, and they're bad also. That's the way that people think about the universe, is that God, the ones at the top are bad. So that's why 
uh, we have evil. So that's one way that people deal with the problem of evil. Okay? Other people say, no, the problem isn't D. The problem is C. And they cross out C. They say, oh, the problem is believing that evil exists. And so some say that the problem is the way that we're looking at things. And we can look to the monist traditions of the East, the monist religions such as Hinduism, and sort of take this, this approach. It's difficult to, to you know, speak um, precisely, accurately about this. But basically, a, a Hinduism would say that what your difficulty is, you're thinking in the wrong categories, that actually Atman is Brahman and all actually is one. And, and if you looked at things in, in the right way, you come to the right place of understanding, then evil is not a problem uh, for you. And I have a picture here of an old movie. It's a great movie called A Passage to India. And uh, it's lush, beautifully, beautifully filmed. Um, but it kind of gives you this introduction where... This fellow is, is falsely accused, and he is going to be executed in the village. And they go to the, they go to the holy man, and they say, what are we going to do? This injustice is going to happen. This evil is going to happen. And he says to them, whatever will be, will be. It's kind of like Doris Day. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. And it's Atman is Brahman, and you need, to, you need to adjust your thinking. Think of different categories. Um, so that's one way, in a, in a kind of less sophisticated way in the West, uh, we have cults like Christian science. And uh, this is Mary Baker Eddy who said, you know, the problem is evil is an illusion. It's a false belief. And if you just stop thinking that evil exists, it stops existing. Okay, so some people, this is the way they address that. I personally have a hard time doing that. It would be kind of like your parents coming home and you saying, yeah, but she hit me. And your parents saying, no, she didn't really hit you. You need to adjust your attitude. The evil didn't really happen. Evil isn't really there. But that's one way that people address this. But some other people say, and you can tell where I'm going with this, they say, no, evil is there and God is good. The problem is they cross out B. They say God is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. And so he can't really control What's going on? And I'll tell you this in theological terms, um, this is called open theism. And there has been an enormous amount of theological energy recently poured into this idea that in the end, you know, God really isn't all powerful. He's good, but he can't control all things. So various different ways open theists try to address it. So it all comes down to God not being omnipotent. And I'll tell you, if you want to make some money, write a popular book that expresses this idea. Because every 10 or 20 years, there's a pop popular book. When I was growing up, it was called When Bad Things Happen to Good People, written by Rabbi Harold Kushner. And this is a very compassionate rabbi who's a bereaved parent. He watched his son die from a very painful disease, and he came to the conclusion that we, not only does God have to forgive us, but we have to forgive God. Because in the end, he's not powerful enough to be able to address evil. And that is how many people, like Harold, Rabbi Kushner and others, solve the problem of evil. So children, this would be like your parents coming home from the date, and you were like, yeah, but she hit me. And your parents say, you know what? I'm too tired to deal with this. 
I can't deal with this, and they just go to bed. Okay, a lot of people think of the whole universe that way, that God is not really powerful enough to address the problem of evil. And so that's another way that people deal with this problem. Okay, so there are problems with all of these. If you take the last one, for example, that God is not all-powerful, then he stops being someone that you can really trust. God is no longer trustworthy in his promises that he's made because he can't really guarantee that he's going to do the things that he says he's going to do. And so there is a problem with that if you take that view. So most people, by far, the most popular way to try to resolve this problem is by scratching out A, right? The problem, most people will say, is, is thinking that God is there. He's not really there. I was speaking with an atheist just recently, just a few weeks ago. An atheist is someone who resolutely believes A is wrong. God does not exist. And I was talking to her, and I was suggesting, hey, you know, could you go to church in your area where you are? And she said, no. And I said, but you have these different options. She said, no, no, no. We're atheists. Our family is atheists. And I said, that's really interesting. How did you come to that conviction? Because you seem very sure about it. How did you come to that? And she said, because of all the craziness in the world. I said, what do you mean the craziness? She would start to talk. And and again, it was clear that what she meant was the injustice that she sees in the world and the bad things that happen. And sometimes the bad things that happen even done by people who say they believe in God. So she came to this place of saying, no, A is wrong. Now, that might seem to solve the problem, right? At, at, when, at the first glance, if God isn't there, you don't have a problem of evil, right? Uh, that would seem to solve the problem, except it doesn't really solve the problem. Because as soon as you take God away, then you are left without any basis for talking about good and evil at all. I want you to think about it. How do you decide, first of all, that something is wrong, that something is evil? How do you know what's evil? Who says what's evil? And you might say, well, you make a social contract. And it's by the social contract that people agree. People all can agree that you say, okay, this is wrong. But supposing opinion changes, Supposing opinion in that social contract changes. Suppose somebody makes a law about abortion that you don't like. On what basis would you criticize that person who makes a law about abortion you don't like? You say, well, this is not good for people. It's bad. Well, the other person says, yeah, no, I think this is not good for people. What happens when opinion changes? You know, another problem with just saying it's the social contract. There's no transcendent right and wrong, good and evil. Is who's to fault you if you find a way to break the social contract and not get caught? Why not? If you find a way to lie to get your kid into an Ivy League school, who's to fault you for that? It's good for you. Why would that? And you say, no, that's just wrong. Well, why? don't really have an answer for that. 
And I'll tell you, friends, you try to build a society on what most people at a particular time think is right, that's how you end up with things like the Holocaust. So that's a real problem for you to even say what, what is evil, what is bad, but you can also, you have a problem saying what good is. Where does good even come from? Where does the concept of good come from? You can't get transcendent morals from evolution, right? There's no amount of natural selection operating on random genetic mutations that will move you from what is to what should be. You can't get there from a random genetic process like that. So where does good come from? You might say, well, the highest form of, of morality is self-sacrifice. If you sacrifice yourself for your neighbor, you're not going to propagate your genes. So why would you? Where did that idea come from, that that was a good thing to do? So children, in the end, this would be like your parents going out on that date, and they never come home. They just aren't there. And that's what people do with the universe when they cross out A. They say God isn't there. Well, the Bible addresses this problem in many ways, in many different forms, in many different passages. The Bible takes up this problem and it addresses this problem, but in a very different way. It is not by crossing any of these out. The Bible does something very different. If we look at verse 26, the Bible says there's a different system that God has to address this problem. It's not the way that we would think about it. And the Bible does it by adding two more propositions to the equation, so to speak. If you look at those last ones, Paul says this is coming about through, and here it's translated, those who believe in Christ or believe in Jesus. Those last three words I will just tell you, there's a titanic, ongoing, sometimes acrimonious debate over those last three words about what they mean, pistis Jesu. And uh, some people will say it's belief in Jesus, doesn't really work in the grammar. Other people will say it's the faithfulness of Jesus that's being talked about. But I would, I would say probably maybe the best translation of that would be the system of religion or the Jesus faith, that God is bringing this about through the Jesus faith, the faith that comes from what Jesus did. It's a different system. And this system is what justifies God. This is a system that shows that God is just and this passing over of sins that he does. What is it? Well, what, what, the, what Paul does and, and the scriptures do is they add to these one more statement, actually two more statements, but the first statement they add is E. They say, yeah, says Paul, God exists, God is all-powerful. Evil exists, God is good, and E, we are not. And that's verse 23, where Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, each of us have evil within us. It's not just, the problem is not just out there. The problem is in here too. So we're looking at this problem, not down 
looking at it from the top, saying, okay, we're going to try to solve this problem. We are part of the problem. The problem is we're inside the problem. Evil is not just out there, it's in here. And you know what? You can know that this, this is true about yourself. Even if you're not a Christian, not a believer, just look at what happens when tragedy strikes you, when something really bad happens to you. How is it that you respond? What is the thing that you think inside? I'll tell you, for all of us, it's the same. We start to think, what have I done to deserve this? I must have done something bad to deserve what's happening to me. All of us react that way. Now, maybe you did. Maybe you did bring, cause something to, that's causing this. Maybe you didn't. Maybe it, you think that, but it's not true. You didn't do anything to cause this. But it doesn't matter. Either way, that is the natural response that we have, that all of us have. Helps us to understand we do have guilt. We do have this thing, evil, inside of us. And so to eradicate evil, to answer this problem, is more complicated than God just snapping his fingers and saying, okay, evil will no longer exist. Anytime anyone does something bad, I'll eliminate all suffering that comes from it. God, God, if God were to do that, it, it, it's not something that would be good, actually. Jesus actually told a parable about this one time. He said, you know, it's, it's like this. It's like a, an owner of a field went out and sowed wheat, and the wheat grew up. And then, while people weren't looking, they were asleep, an enemy came, and he sowed tares, and, and he sowed weeds among the wheat, And so the workers came to the owner of the field, and they said, what should we do? There's this evil now in the field. It was a good field of wheat, and and there's evil now in it. And the owner says, you have to wait. You have to wait because the problem is, is within the wheat. It's growing up among the wheat. And they said, well, let us go and pull out all of, the, all of the tares. Let's pull out all the weeds now. And the owner says, no, you can't do that, lest you damage the wheat. This is Jesus explaining to us why God passes over, allows sin and evil still in the world. Because somehow to try to just pull it out now would damage the people of God. And so he says, this is our problem. The only solution is is to add F. And this is God's system, the second edition, that we we aren't good, but God has taken our evil onto himself in order to destroy it. And that's verse 25, when Paul says, God has made in Jesus Christ a propitiation for our evil. Propitiation is a big word that just means a covering of that which is offensive in order to restore relationship. It's that which puts God favorably disposed towards us again. It's the final solution to evil in the world. It's the payment. So you see, God does not answer the question of evil, he bears it on himself. As the prophet says, surely he has borne our iniquities. So you see, God is not a philosopher up in the sky looking down 
logically making sure everything fits with our tiny understanding. Nor is he a supervisor who comes upon the problem and says, okay, you made the mess, you clean it up. No, he's our parent. He's our parent who comes home from the date and takes on himself that problem of evil within himself. And only that, only that, friends, can wipe away every tear. Only this system will not damage the wheat. Only this system can destroy evil because only this system will actually make us good. Okay, that's the problem. You wonder why in verse 21, Paul says, all this is done apart from the law. Why does he say apart from the law? The law is good. It's good in what it says. It's good even in condemning us when we do wrong. But the law cannot make us good. That's one thing the law cannot do. It can't make us want righteousness in our hearts. Children, it's like when your parents say to you to do something, right? If your parents tell you to do something, does it make you want to do it? No. <laughs> In fact, it often has the opposite <laughs> effect, doesn't it? Your parents tell you to do something, it makes you want to not do it, right? Because the law can make no one righteous. But what Jesus Christ has done does make us righteous, So this is what we have. This is what you're coming to in coming to the table this morning. In your lives, children, when evil strikes and the suffering that comes from it, and it will, you have two options. Either you can turn away from God with one of these other solutions, or you can turn towards the one who has taken evil on himself. Full force in order to bring us out of it and give you a goodness that is unassailable, that is unchallengeable, that is indestructible, coming through you into the world. And that is what you have chosen in coming to the table this morning. Let's, let's do that now. Let's come to the table with our new communicants this morning.